Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. We do want to talk about Afghanistan. That's what we've been largely talking about on the show. We are all a witness to history. This is a major defeat for the United States. Of course, back in the day in 1978 and 79, when Zbigniew Brzezinski was making the case to the Carter administration that by launching this big covert operation against the socialist government in Afghanistan following the April 1978 revolution, that it would draw the Soviet Union in and then the Soviet Union would have its own version of Vietnam. And that was, you know, that's quite famous. Everybody has heard that. But now what we're witnessing is Afghanistan becoming the second Vietnam for the United States. I mean, here you have this complete chaos at the airport. The government that the U.S. was supporting collapsed without shots really being fired at the gates of Kabul. I mean, a real defeat for the United States after 20 years. So we have to pay attention to it because... The question really will become, or is, what comes next? And I did a recording today that will air tomorrow, and it's with Colonel Ann Wright, who is a friend. She's an anti-war activist. She works with Code Pink for those of us in the anti-war movement, like the Answer Coalition that we're part of. We've been working with Ann for a long time. She resigned from her position in the State Department in March 2003 in protest over the U.S. invasion of Iraq. That's very rare for U.S. government officials, especially people who have been in government for a long time, to resign on principle. I mean, she did it. Matthew Ho, another friend, resigned from the State Department to protest Obama's surge in 2009-2010. Of course, we know about Daniel Ellsberg, who we've had on the show. He was a, you know, a senior person in the government and also, in a way, resigned in an even more you know, powerful way with the release of the Pentagon Papers. But I thought it was important to talk to Anne because Anne Wright reopened the U.S. Embassy in Kabul in December 2001 after the U.S. invasion. She and a team of four people went and they reopened the embassy and she was there for you know many many months and she was number 2 in the US embassy in Kabul at that time and i wanted to and was able to ask her you know about what she thinks is coming next and we were able to access an interview with David Petraeus who of course was in charge of the US command in Afghanistan, in charge of the NATO command. He was the CIA director. He also was forced out in a scandal because for his own personal reasons, he was releasing classified information to the media. But unlike other people who have been leakers to the media, because he was David Petraeus, because he was a general, because he was a CIA director, his leak of classified information to somebody he was having an affair with who was writing a book, he was basically immediately rehabilitated. And so now he's this bigwig consultant and advisor. 
Anyway, he was the guest on a Financial Times interview or panel that took place this morning. And also on with him was the person who was the governor, the acting governor in charge of the Central Bank of Afghanistan. He's Afghan-American. He grew up in the United States. He's only been in Afghanistan, you know, not that long. And he left with Ashraf Ghani when they fled, when the government was collapsing. Rats, you know, left the sinking ship very rapidly. So there's a panel discussion with the two of them. And Petraeus is breaking down what he thinks is happening and what did happen and also what's likely to happen as does this other individual who's in charge of the bank. It's really an important interview, I think, not because of the ideological content of the interview, but because of some of the information, which I don't think is really, it hasn't been out in the media as much. I mean, I was glad that on Tuesday we were able to go over some of that history where the Taliban actually offered to surrender in November 2001. They were beaten, they were dispersed, they were afraid. B-52s were chasing them and they wanted to surrender. Their only condition was to ask for amnesty. And as we said on the show on Tuesday, Donald Rumsfeld arrogantly refused their surrender offer. He said, we don't negotiate surrenders. I mean, again, we talked about this on the show on Tuesday a lot, the racism and the arrogance and the hubris, but The Taliban, who are now the new government in Afghanistan, offered to surrender 20 years ago, but because it was beneath the dignity of American imperialist officials to actually negotiate the surrender with the Taliban, the U.S. didn't accept the offer. Amazing. We were glad we brought that out because it's not really in the media. You don't see that part of this Afghan story in the media, that the Taliban offered to surrender. And the interview that we have with Ann tomorrow also brings out important information that I think is not really in the media, hardly at all, maybe it's there a little bit, but it's extremely important to the story. The Afghan state is 100%, 100%, whether it's the so-called elected government that has now collapsed or the new government, which is actually hasn't yet formed, it's completely dependent on international financing. So the Biden administration seized the $9 billion of international reserves that the old Afghan government had. Those reserves are not in a bank in Kabul. They're in the Federal Reserve Bank in New York. The IMF stopped the drawing rights for Afghanistan. The U.S. was sending huge plane loads of cash to Afghanistan every month. Those have stopped. Germany announced that it has suspended a $3 billion normal offering that Afghanistan relied on. The EU has a $1 billion offering. That stopped. The World Bank has frozen any other interactions with any new government. And so you have the IMF, the World Bank, the major financial services and banks, and the governments in the West refusing to give any money to Afghanistan. Now, so whoever is the new government, this will be their reality, meaning that the reserves on hand in Afghanistan, which would be enough to carry the country for about six weeks, and that would be in the range of about $9 billion, 
it's going to be down to several tens of millions by the end of this week and be gone by next week, meaning that the lights are going to start to go on in Kabul. The soldiers, the 300,000 soldiers in the army who were paid only intermittently, at least in the last few months, because so much of the money supposedly going to them as pay was actually just being, you know, taken by their officers. But at least they were getting some pay. They're unemployed now. So services are not going to be provided. The electricity is going to start to go out. There's no money. And so Petraeus kind of calmly goes over what the impact of this will be on the new incoming government. And of course, it means that they're not panicked at all about the Taliban taking over. I mean, they don't want to be embarrassed about like what's happening at the airport and things like that. But they're not panicked about the Taliban. The Taliban are surrounded, surrounded economically, which is the most important thing. If they become the government and they haven't been the government in Afghanistan for 20 years and society has changed a lot, how are they going to manage? It's very likely that if this noose continues to be tightened, then they will start to have resistance and rebellion or perhaps a demand for others to come back in. So Petraeus and the others in this imperialist panel today are discussing strategy. Should the U.S. quote engage, meaning allow Afghanistan, which was regionally integrated, unlike before 2001, should they re-engage, provide new financing, et cetera, et cetera, and then make a deal with them? And I think that's what the Taliban want. They want to have a government that has some non-Taliban figures in it, and they want to get international recognition, and they would be more than happy to play ball with the United States. But it's going to be hard to see what political force within the U.S., given these circumstances, who's going to say, oh, yeah, let's unfreeze the Afghans' money, the $9 billion. And as the former governor of the central bank says, the Afghan-American guy in this interview, he says, Actually, the Treasury Department can't simply lift the sanctions now because of the way Afghanistan has been you know, designated. I believe it's the Taliban is back on the terrorism list. So if the U.S. does not allow the new Afghan government to breathe, what will happen? Will the new Afghan government be compelled to move in the direction of China and Iran and Russia, in which case this will clearly accelerate the international tensions in the Cold War and the demonization of those countries? Or will there be some sort of deal made where there's a government of national unity where the Taliban are a part of the government, but not the only part? Or will the U.S. find a way to bring them in, maybe not directly? That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 